You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you tri freaks and geeks, and welcome to another episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon, the podcast where we go long on endurance and hope to improve ourselves with a little bit of zen along the way. All right, we got a really cool episode. I talk a little bit about how to get that famous runner's high, and I actually get it through swimming. So I talk about how to get through swimming, biking, running, all those techniques, and then I chase it for a while trying to get it again. I got it one really good time last week, and I wanted to talk about it. Also, we have a Zen Buddhist talk about how to be more Zen by being more like the movie screen and less like the movie. It's pretty cool. And also, we have a bike tip, how to learn the flying dismount that you need to go into T2, and then also how many miles per week to train for an Olympic and a half Ironman. That was an email question that I answered. And why you need to wear flip-flops at the pool. <laughs> I was just re-listening to that. It's uh, pretty good. And also how we put Christmas lights under our bed, LED lights, I wanna be specific with that, under our bed, and how that helps you not trip over stuff And when you get up in the morning and help the other person sleep. It helps everybody get better sleep. It's a really uh, kinda interesting, cool little trick. Okay, we have all that, but first we have a shout out to a new sponsor, 3PM Bytes, that we're going to do real quick, and then right after this, we get into how to be more like the movie and less like the movie screen, our little zen talk for the week. Okay, here is 3PM Bytes. All right, I got something very cool in the mail a few days ago, and it's just about the coolest brand name I've ever seen, 3PM Bites, and I've been snacking on these, and I wanted to eat them for a while before I commented on them on the show, and it is, these are really, really amazing. This is neat stuff. So they're truffles, uh, which means they're like small, uh, they're small balls, huh? and they are uh, different flavors. There's peanut butter truffles and i've got them here in my hand and there are chocolate and coffee and honestly this is they are so strong in flavor that they do what they say they are a snack for athletes a treat for athletes is what they say and they are so strong that, and actually they're pretty low calorie, that it's supposed to end a craving for one of the many flavors that you might have a craving for. And honestly, I have cravings for all three of these sometimes, peanut butter, chocolate, or coffee. And eating uh, one or two of these will, um, I tested it, it shortcuts your craving for the uh, unwholesome, like heavy calorie, non-nutritious like overeating of other stuff that you don't really want. So 3PM Bites sent me uh, a write-up on how they like to think about it. And they say, do you crave for a chocolate or a cake or a cookie, but often feel guilty, dot, 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 empty calories, dot, 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 sugary, dot, 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 will slow you down. 
3PM Bites are zero compromise, zero guilt treats for athletes. Zero compromise on taste, because if it didn't taste good, it ain't going to matter. Zero compromise on ingredients with 100% real ingredients. The way food should be. The way our grandmothers made it. Plus, they are certified organic, vegan. They made them out of real vegans, people. Not just kidding. Uh, Plant-based, kosher, with added superfoods and zero added sugar or sweetener. All right, and then they also say the team of athletes and chefs at 3PM Bites wants you to know that everyone has sweet cravings. No matter how pro or novice an athlete we are, these bite-sized truffles are decadent yet full of healthy ingredients. I tried them and wow, this is the guy that sent it to me, Matthew. Uh, Unlike some other bars, uh, because like we have Amrita bars on this show. Those are fantastic. Those are more like a fuel and like they're supposed to kind of fill you up, right? These are supposed to... uh, end cravings like 3 p.m you know you got a craving for food but you don't want to eat something like super sugary and then have like a sugar crash right of like if you ate like a snickers bar um you know something really unhealthy so this is this is really neat amrita bars you can actually eat you know while biking and stuff okay let's get back to let's get back to our 3 p.m bites and uh, these bites are smooth and moist 3 p.m bites are great for whether you're out on a long ride well they say you can't eat them i haven't tried that yet and that's true. You could eat, you could snack on one or two, um, or about to hit the pool or as a simple snack with their chocolate coffee or peanut butter truffles. These flavors will keep you fueled and ready to go. Find 3 PM bites on Amazon and order a few bags today. Use discount code Zentry 10. And in case it matters, it's in all caps and the number 10 Zentry 10 to get up to 10% off your first order. So again, I got them right here in my hand. I've had uh, several of each of the flavors. And let's see, there are uh, 100 calories for two out of the, uh, let's see, the, the peanut butter one. And the peanut butter ones are hemp, chia, flax, and quinoa, along with peanut butter. This is, this is the one that has my favorite texture on it. They're, they're kind of neat. And then uh, coffee. Um, looks like a ball of coffee grounds and (laughs) man, it tastes strong like coffee. It was really good. So hemp, chia, flax, quinoa, and coffee truffles. Let's look at the back and see, for example, uh, almonds. It's got some almonds in it. Uh, organic raw cacao, organic coffee. That's why it tastes like coffee. It's got ground coffee in it. Oh my gosh, this is so good. And then it's got uh, brown rice protein, pea protein, flax seeds. All the stuff's organic. And let's move on to the next one. Is that chocolate, peanut? Oh, that was coffee. Do we do chocolate now? And then chocolate. Uh, oh, and the main ingredient in a lot of these is dates, which is good stuff. And dates we have... Oh, for chocolate, we have raw cacao, hemp seeds, organic flax seeds, organic cheese, uh, organic vanilla extract. Mm. Can't have chocolate with a little bit of vanilla, right? Can't have your up without going back down. And yeah, wow, pretty cool. Two of these is only 60 calories for two of the chocolate ones. That's pretty crazy. Anyway, they say on the packaging here, also, go to... 3pmbytes.com slash athletes. Go USA, USA, USA. So made in the USA, New Brunswick, New Jersey. 
All right, 3pmbytes.com. It is an honor to talk about these guys on the show. You should definitely test them out. Hey, just try it out. It's cool. Share with your friends. I've been sharing them with people at work. They're like, whoa, those are strong. <laughs> like, yeah, they are. They're really great. Okay, that is enough about the 3 p.m. bites. Go check them out. Discount code ZENTRY10 and let me know what you think. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, I would like to talk for a minute about the concept of being a movie screen and not the movie. Or in ancient times, uh, because there was not a uh, movie screen, (laughs) at most you had plays, I believe, Uh, it would be... um, in the ancient Zen and Buddhist texts, talk about a mirror or the um, a reflection in a uh, pool, your own reflection, or a reflection of the moon, which is a big one in Zen. And this has to do with not believing that you are your thoughts. So the major the major problem we face in life is believing. Uh, what we are thinking. And your brain, there's a saying that your the human brain secretes thoughts like a baby secretes poop or you know, some all kinds of uh, non-pleasant things because these thoughts we have end up getting us in trouble. You know, people that uh, freak out and start acting irrationally because they start believing their own thoughts. Uh, people worried about things that haven't happened yet, uh, aren't going to happen. It just makes for a a miserable experience in life. And along with your personal life, this can happen in triathlon. You can uh, get an injury. Uh, During a race, you can worry about things uh, during your your day-to-day. You can uh, start uh, believing your thoughts that aren't necessarily true. So one way to, to look at this is to be the movie screen and not the movie. And what that means is, let's say you go to a movie and it's a movie that's got a lot of dirt in it and a lot of mud, for example. Uh, It's got an off-road section. I know uh, in that kid's movie, Cars, you know, they're racing on the dirt track, for example, a lot. Well, when the movie's over, do you need to clean the screen from all the dirt and the mud? No. The, the movie was just projected onto the screen, and then when the movie was over, the screen, well, when the scene is over, the, uh, the movie screen lets it go. The, 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 the screen is just the foundation that it gets uh, painted upon, and, and you can be that as well. Uh, with with Zen, it's, there's a lot of letting go, and that's what they're talking about is when something bad happens, you can let it go. When something good happens, uh, you can also know about uh, this too shall pass and and don't cling to something good because when it goes uh, relative to the good, uh, normal is going to feel bad. So you just don't uh, cling to things too hard. And and another example is a horror movie where there's blood and gore, uh, a war movie where there's bullets flying everywhere. When the movie's over, is there blood on the screen? No. Are there bullet holes on the screen? No. But what is the screen? The screen is ready. It has let go. 
but it's also ready to uh, host a different movie, like a romance movie or a comedy movie. Think when things are better, you know, because it didn't cling to the to the uh, scary, ugly, fearful stuff. It's now available to um, allow allow you to enjoy something nice and something pleasant and something um, that could lead to a better future. So knowing this, um, you can uh, improve your life by saying, is this real, this thing that I'm experiencing, right? Or is this just thoughts that I'm having, kind of like a movie? Is it an opinion? That's always a good one. Is this a fact or an opinion? And is this going to pass eventually? You know, will I laugh about this someday? Um, and it's that's a hard dis- discernation, discernment to make sometimes because you get all caught up in the movie. But in general, yeah, everything's going to pass. And uh, there's a saying where you don't want to uh, cling too tightly because you get rope burn. <laughs> you want to hold the rope, but let it slide through your hands gently so you don't uh, burn your hands. Now, some next level stuff that is that is uh, hard to grasp if you want to work on this one for a little while is Zen teaches this uh, non-dualism. You are not separate from, from reality, from the world, right? So what we were just talking about is you know, there's the movie and then there's the movie screen. Those things are separate from each other, right? And that's how you can get through a difficult moment. You can go, this is a, uh, I'm experiencing a horror movie. <laughs> Say like in this race, um, you know, like you're having a, a second flat tire in a row and it's and you're just, you're, you're not cutting it. You've sunk all this money into this thing and you've traveled and uh, your bike scratched up, you know, all kinds of nastiness. You're like, crap. Okay, this is just a horror movie going on right now. In reality, life's actually not that bad, right? So you can be the screen. But the tricky thing is that Zen teaches uh, that, that you are both separate, but also at the same time, you are not separate. There's duality and then there's non-duality. And... It takes a screen to see the movie. So you are not entirely separate from the um, from the, the, the horror movie that uh, you're not enjoying right now or the, the um, you know, it's not different than you, the comedy movie. Um, it takes a screen to show the movie. If you just turn on a projector and show a movie into empty space, it goes nowhere. You can't see it at all. It does take um, the screen. And like we were saying, you are the screen. So being the screen, also you need to remember that um, you are in part responsible for the um for the projection so it does uh this is a uh, two-sided uh coin but a coin does have two sides but it takes two sides to make one coin and 
while you are one with the movie, the projection of your thoughts, you need to remember this as well, that you can alter the shape of your screen to let things uh, go, to amplify other things, to um, let uh, other things kind of drop off and not worry about them, right? Uh, We have this thing in mapping called projections. And it's how you shine the light, where you hold the light. You make a map on a a piece of film, uh, clear film, but you draw a map on it. And then you hold a light bulb to it. And then as the light shines through the, the clear map, clear-ish map, it projects the, um, the map onto a wall. But where you hold the light bulb affects how the map looks on the wall and also how you hold or twist or bend the piece of paper that the map is on, the piece of clear plastic that the map is on, affects how it looks on the wall. So you can get an idea of this. Um, a lot of times you'll see maps of the world where Greenland and and Canada are absolutely massive. (laughs) They take up the whole top of the map, right? They're not that way in in the real world. Go look at a globe, which is an actual real representation, and they're actually rather small compared to uh, other things on the map, compared to Africa or China, for example. But that's the projection that they're using to uh, get it onto a flat surface. And uh, there's other maps that are totally different than that, right? Um... It's actually a whole science in map making of that, the whole thing of how you hold the light and how you hold the object that you're trying to light so you can get it onto a flat surface because the earth is not flat. You need, you need to get it on a flat surface for people to see. But you have a choice. What a lot of people don't realize is you have a choice in how you hold yourself as the, as the movie screen, right? Let's say you tilt the movie screen back a little bit so the bottom is closer to you and the back is farther away well objects on the bottom are going to be larger because they're closer to you right let's say that you um have your map your uh, projection surface uh curved a little bit right well then things are going to seem bulbous in the middle and then uh and then uh disappear off to the side, right? So I think um, there's two things. Throughout life, uh, people have shaved, shaved. People have, definitely people have shaved. People have um, modified themselves or been modified by life experiences, good and bad, of what they look like as far as the wall that the movie's been projected on, the, what the movie screen looks like, right? corners are banged up (laughs) i'm missing a section over here and uh uh, wrinkled over there and um uh dented over there so when you shine the movie on it even though the the it's a perfectly fine comedy uh when you project the movie on it their screen makes it look like a horror movie because they are uh, not allowing the experience to just be itself and be its own way. And also you can have something, um, if somebody's delusional, they'll have a, um, a scary movie being projected, but it looks like a, looks like a, 
a comedy when really they need to pay attention and get their stuff together, you know, but that's more rare. It's usually the other way around where everything's fine or is going to be fine, but because their screen is um, warped a little bit in one way or another, warped and damaged, then um, they, they're showing a movie to themselves that's uh, not based in reality and uh, doesn't need to be as bad as what they're, they're thinking about it, it is. But it's not the movie's fault. It's your own fault. It's your own, uh, I would say fault, but it's because it could be other people's fault. But it's your own thing to work on. So enlightenment and happiness comes from realizing these things, that so many things in life are actually tunable and it's not immediate, you know, but you can work on it and uh, progress. And through experience and mistakes, you know, comes some wisdom. Through listening to uh, teachers uh, comes a little bit more wisdom and ideas. And you just try stuff out. Just try it out and say, okay, I'm going to try not overreacting to my next flat tire on my bike or bolt coming loose, you know, or somebody being a jerk in the transition area. And... Um, and just ignore them. A lot of uh, negative, a lot of negativity feeds on attention. So just tell yourself that. I'm just not gonna. When somebody goes, "Hey, what are you doing? You can't wreck your bike here." Just ignore them and walk off and watch what happens. <laughs> All right, that's it. I gotta go back in to uh, W to the E R K. All right, be back in a minute. Out, bang. All right, all right. I have a bunch of cool things to talk about this morning. Let's see, I guess we'll start off with uh, triggering a runner's high. So yesterday I had a runner's high hit me after um, I got done swimming. It doesn't have to be started from uh, running. I had I swam before work, went to work, and then I was sitting there in my office and about half an hour in, maybe less, I noticed I had this weird feeling. That's a coffee sipping right there. And it was this, um, I've had it several times before, you know, randomly. And it's, uh, so I knew what it was and from running and other things. Surfing actually does it. And it's a feeling of well-being. Everything's going to be, everything's, everything's fine. Everything's great. And you know, at work, you got drama, you got things that are breaking, you got things you have to do, scheduling conflicts, all this stuff, right? All this stuff's going wrong. That's why you're there, is to repair what's wrong. And it was all fine. <laughs> but at the same time, you're not uh, stupefied, as in stupid. You know, like, um, like, in, like a zombie, like not doing anything because you, uh, you can't think straight. Uh, you actually think very clearly. And I was very productive. And the little things that usually bother you just don't bother you. So then you can actually do the things that you want to do. It was a very zen state. So while this is happening, you think to yourself, man, if I could replicate this all the time, it would be the best. <laughs> and actually, you can uh, through drugs, which is not the right way to do it because drugs have side effects and downsides and you know it's really a reward system your body's giving you for doing something that's improving you and making you a better 
a better human in general. And I'm going to tell you uh, in a minute how to actually trigger one, hopefully. Uh, it still seems to be kind of random and kind of luck of the draw, but they've scientists and athletes have sort of nailed it down on how to do it. And I can tell you that in a second. But uh, a little bit more about the science behind it so you know what's happening is for the longest time, they thought it was, uh, well, they call it endorphins. And something very similar to it is an opioid uh, morphine. And so for the longest time, scientists are thinking, yeah, you've got receptors, just like you've got sweet receptors on your tongue, you know, that make you uh, enjoy sweet foods. There's just where chemicals match up with it and then send a signal to your brain. And it goes, oh yeah, the pieces fit, this is great. But you have uh, the same thing in your body and if your body generates, if you force your body to generate uh, certain chemicals, then you also have receptors embedded in your body that when they pick up those, they sense those chemicals, they send signals to your brain of like, yeehaw, this is good stuff. Okay, so that's um, what they thought. They call it endorphins, and they thought uh, morphine is the closest thing. Uh, but lately, there's there's research that's showing that it might be um, the opposite of... Uh, of the, of, well, this is difficult to explain. In marijuana, there's two, there's a, like a ton of chemicals, but there's two chem chemicals. There's one that gets you stoned and stupid, and then there's a counteracting chemical that makes you feel good to reduce the effect. <laughs> That's a Cypress, <laughs> Cypress Hill song. Can you feel the effect of the high, brother? But, uh, and these are, these are cannabinoids and they don't get you um, high. And, and, and then what's interesting is pot, marijuana, uh, hemp has been around for millions of years. And uh, they're saying that the fact that you have these receptors built into your body shows that humans have been, it's part of the natural ecosystem and we, we eat this stuff or take this stuff or whatever. It's, it's grown into the plants to make the plants seem attractive to us uh, so that we will propagate the plants. That's why apples have fructose in them to make them taste sweet. So we want to eat them and then we eat them and then spread the seeds around. And then that gets, apples are happy because that leads to more apples. And uh, mar uh, marijuana, pot, hemp, whatever, has this chemical in it to make you feel happy while you eat it. And then you want to eat more of it and then you end up spreading the seeds around. So it's actually being smarter than you. <laughs> it's using you. You're not using it. But anyway, with these receptors uh, available, uh, cannabinoids, cannabis is taking advantage of something that's already built into your body uh, that is the reward system that your body uh, uses to reward you for a hard work that actually improves you. And that's, that's the science behind it. There's a little bit where I'm a little bit suspicious of, yeah, all this, all this uh, pot research and cannabis stuff and hemp is, uh, you know, a little bit being glamorized. And it's may maybe not. This is like just a new study that shows this is 
might be what it is instead of morphine, but who knows? Just that's the facts behind uh, the current research. It could change. It always changes. But what they do know is it takes about 50, 50. I always say five zero instead, of, you know, so you know I'm not saying 15. Five zero, 50 minutes of medium hard exercise. And that will trigger your body to release these chemicals, endorphins, and then your receptors light up going, whoa, this is nice. And then you feel good for a few hours. And then the, the upside of it uh, being a natural chemical that your body creates is you don't get a hangover from it. You know, you, you can get a quote-unquote high, it's more of a depressant from alcohol, but that's not a natural chemical your body makes, so your body just goes, ah, later, and then you feel like crap the next day. But what's cool is I pretty much have the same routine all the time, and I sort of mostly document everything that I do and eat. If something interesting happens, I definitely write it down. And I know exactly what I did yesterday and to almost exactly uh, as far as eating and timing and all that stuff and then I uh, got this uh, runner's high the unfortunate thing is is in the pool I don't have metrics in the pool per se like how hard I was going I don't have heart rate from the pool which actually you could get now but this is also the uh, issue that people talk about that makes running addictive. People get addicted to working out because of this um, this uh, high that you get, and you're always certain, you're always chasing the dragon. <laughs> Come on, catch me, catch me! I'm right over here. Catch me, kid! You're never gonna catch the dragon. You realize that, right? I know, I know. I just need a, I just need something to take a break from the real world. That's from South Park. Anyway take a sip of coffee so today oh let me tell you about my swim so I did um, I started swimming and then I noticed I was failing a little bit in my swim so instead of doing a long continuous swim I did uh, 20 minute blocks and at the end of every 20 minutes I went hard for 100 yards which is about a minute of pretty hard like it was make it burn in my shoulders a little bit and then I would take a break for like 30 seconds and then start over again. So it's a, I did three of these, three 20 minute long blocks where it's easy to moderate and then the last um, 100 yards, uh, really hard. Almost a full sprint, like nine, 9.5 out of 10, maybe nine. And so then this morning, I was like, I'm gonna do a little bit of research and I ate the exact same thing and uh, got on the bike and then tried to replicate it. Except I did four of four 15 minute blocks. And an upside of doing things, breaking things up, you know, is uh, it makes time go by faster. Four 15 minute blocks with one minute hard at the very end of each block is uh, makes the time go by way faster than. <laughs> in one hour just continuous riding but all that aside we'll see if it turns into a, uh, a runner's high here in a little bit I'm not 
not positive it's going to. I may need it to go a little bit harder. <sighs> on top of that, I posted on Instagram that uh, the bike ride I was doing this morning, I was just listening to uh, music on Pandora, music with no words, and Buddha Bar is a really good one. It's just got a rhythmic beat. It's kind of like Indian, Arabian, uh, Asian, sometimes Chinese. It's got a good beat. And uh, nothing, uh, no, no, no uh, Zwift, no YouTube videos. A lot of times just with my eyes closed and my head down, which is actually something you don't want to practice because then when you go out on the real road, um, you'll get neck pain by looking up and forward all the time. So you can close your eyes, but you need to have your head tilted up as if you're looking forward if you're in the arrow position so that um, you're training that so your neck doesn't get tired when you're actually doing a, a, a real race. And by the way, I've got a, probably going to do the 100-mile Grand Fondo uh, here uh, in March. And anyway, so I need to start like focusing on that and thinking about that. And so that's what, kind of what I visualized some. But the thing I did have, the electronic thing I did have available was I had my laptop open, and you can do this with your phone as well, and I had the app open where I could record thoughts. And what you do for a biking meditation or running meditation, all this, you can do this you know, out on the open road too, is um, you have your phone with you. Or if you're at your bike, you know, you can have a laptop if you're indoors. Or treadmill, not so much. And you go ahead and get your app open to capture notes. And then as you think of things, you uh, write them down. And then you write them down and then try to go back about to thinking of nothing again. But don't try to think of nothing. Uh, that is kind of impossible. You're, you're trying again. What you need to do is not try. <laughs> and that's the trick, is quit trying. And when you quit trying and you just be, then you can be in the moment. See, if you're trying to not think of anything, now you're, you're trying. And that's the opposite. You need to stop trying and start being. And then you can notice. You notice and let go. You, you notice your breathing is this and your heart rate is that and you're just listening to music and you just ride and then what, what it's turning into is shower thoughts you're just sitting there and then ideas start coming to your mind you're like oh I need to do this oh I need to do that it's really cool and then by the end of your ride or your run or whatever you're doing um, you've had some peaceful thinking and also recorded down the thoughts that seem to be bugging you and then that's your to-do list for the day is you just kind of work on those things and I'm bouncing back and forth between, you know, do I add this to my official to-do list where it's a rolling list that just keeps going? Or do I, make a, do I make a list every day, a new list? And then if, and it's like a fresh blank start. It's actually pretty cool. All right, well, I'm at W to the ERK and I'm actually a couple minutes late. And I'll come back and let y'all know if... Uh, I managed to get that uh, runner's high kicked off this morning to um, deal with stuff. It is addictive, man. It, it felt good. It was so nice. And, oh, last night we had a Boy Scout meeting. We was working with Bamboo and uh, 
made a tripod, eight foot long bamboo poles and bamboo is so strong. I was able to hang, suspend myself from it and swing my feet in the air. It was so cool. All right, that's it. I got to go. Bing. All right, we are in the Zentri Mobile Studios. I got two things for you. This is really cool. I uh, did manage to get a bit of a runner's high. I'm gonna call it swimmer's high because I initiated it with uh, swimming this morning. And then I got a tip on uh, flip-flops or sandals. Or I don't know what the hell you call them around y'all where you live. Thongs. Ooh. But I, um, I did some research and swimmer, the, the morphine, the endorphins, that um, dopamine maybe, that uh, you get is also caused from stress and your body doesn't really know the difference that much. So um, if your workout is sort of stressful, then that can help. And I remember my, uh, my swim workout that gave me the swimmer's high was, um, was uh, stressful. I was trying to maintain a, um, an interval pace and I couldn't do it. You know, I had to give up and then reconsider my life. <laughs> Not really. Reconsider what I'm doing. Oh, that reminds me, man. I got a really great topic for a future show. Um, then I, uh, so the stress, your body goes, oh man, he's stressed out. We need to dope him up with, uh, make him feel good. And he survived. So let's, uh, he did something right. So let's let's um, make them feel good. Anyway, so what I did this morning was I started swimming, and if I swim very very casually, um, I can swim across the pool in seven strokes. It's really fourteen strokes, but the watch only counts one side because it's only on one one arm. And so uh, seven strokes per lap. I just count on one side myself on my right side. That's what I count, even though the watch is on the left. So one two, three, four, I'm not going to go the whole thing. Uh, it's a yard pool, 25 yard pool. So seven strokes is really great, but for me, but it's, um, it's not completely insane, you know? Um, and I usually do like eight, but I've noticed that if I, um, I'm very, if I concentrate and really focus on really clean stroke, um, I can do seven strokes. And, and it's nice. It feels good. But the thing is, is it's, it's actually pretty hard to maintain because as you get tired over time and, you know, you don't push off the wall perfectly and all, if you don't do it perfectly, you start to, uh, you need an extra stroke or two. And then if also, if you don't, uh, oh, as you um, get a little bit more tired, your muscles get kind of tight and then you're not as loose and, uh, and you can't swim as elegantly and slip through the water as before. And that'll, um, that'll cause you to need a, an extra stroke or two. So anyway, so that's some, t that's some, uh, induced stress. And I'm trying to tell you all this so that like, maybe you can try to replicate this yourself. So if you want to try getting a, a swimmer's high then try swimming, uh, when you first start swimming, count your strokes and swim easily and casually, and uh, then try to replicate that for the rest of the swim. And you'll find at some point, 
you almost can't do it or maybe you can't and uh towards the end i couldn't do it anymore i was taking eight strokes and at one time nine or, or more anyway and so there's your induced stress so you're you're kind of like man this is freaking me out man what do i do you know there's like no way out if you try harder that's gonna make you take more strokes if you don't try hard enough if you try to relax more then you're gonna slow down and that's gonna take more strokes and it's all around like a pretty good method and then what i did was the i did that for 55 minutes five five and then i um the last five minutes i went really hard and that burn felt good that last five minutes and now um i didn't get the swimmers high like the overwhelm like dump just boosh, like the bush beer commercial boosh. <laughs> but i do have this weird sense of well-being and just casualness today i think you might be able to tell by the way i'm talking um it's hard for me to remember you know what i was talking like last time but it's this very casual just everything's fine and I was thinking, you know, do I have that this morning or not? Well, I had to call my old health insurance because they billed me $745 for a genetic test that I had done. And they don't want to pay it. And I had to be on hold for like 45 minutes altogether. And I just sat there on hold. I had other work to do. So um, they say you can't multitask. That it's actually just task switching. That's not true. You actually can multitask. But one of your tasks has to be mindless so you can walk the, the old saying walk and chew bubble gum at the same time right somebody's really stupid if they can't that's the whole thing and um i was doing a computer task that's just rote r-o-t-e just i click here and i click there i'm drawing stuff i click there and i click there and it's real simple. There's no not really many decisions to be made. The decision is already made. I need to draw these outlines on things. And so while I'm doing that, I can sit there and be on hold and be ready at any minute to, um, to talk. And I have my script on my side of what I need to say to the insurance company. Like, okay, what's this? I need explanation of benefits and it was this date and this amount of money and this was the doctor and all this other stuff and so that's all ready for me to say and while i'm waiting i just work on my on my task right um but it's got to be a mindless task that you know and, and i'm doing fine and then when i and i was on hold forever while this was going on and i had a coworker that was across the room from me and they were like dude you're on hold <laughs> forever that's driving you crazy and i was like no doesn't matter it's just what needs to be done and uh when i wasn't doing that whole uh shit show i was uh just working on other things and i noticed that i was moving from task to task without much judgment about it and what causes procrastination and you keep putting things off is because you're like uh, i don't really like this i don't really want to do this is there something else better i can do you know there's a lot of anxiety um, unsureness and then with, um, with the dopamine endorphins or whatever it is uh, that's kind of gone you have this sense of, of um, just yeah it's all cool and then um, so I noticed I was getting a lot more stuff done than usual because I wasn't you know trying to work in, thinking too hard I was just doing which is nice so swimmers high runners high is a lot like being in zen flow by the way and then you 
Um, oh, I went and got a salad. And I noticed that even though I was hungry, I didn't sit down immediately and try to crack stuff open and start eating it. And there's this one thing where if you scan the receipt with your phone, you get you earn points. Ugh. And then these points add up and then you can get free food later, right? Well, usually I sit down and I eat and then I'm like, oh man, I've got to... Um, Oh, where is that receipt? I've got to scan it with my phone. I got to scan it in the middle of like eating, and I usually got my laptop out because I'm coaching or something. And I'm like, this time it was really weird. I bef- I, I sat down. I was I decided to sit at this bar that's um uh, you know um, chest high kind of thing. So I set my uh, I set my food down and my receipt down, and the thing I needed to do was scan the receipt with my phone to earn points before I got all into eating and everything. And I was totally fine with that. I was just like, yeah, okay. I'm going to um, scan my receipt now and uh, the food can wait. And it was, the, it was the right decision to do and I had no anxiety about doing it uh, one, one before the other, like, oh, you know, I got to eat and everything. It was, I was very calm and very... Um, serene and a sense of well-being that this is fine this is what i got to do and this is fine (laughs) have y'all ever seen you got to google it the the uh the comic uh four picture series you know it's like four frames of the dog where the house is on fire and he's like this is fine i'm 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 fine with the way things are currently unfolding and then it's like his body catches on fire he's like this is totally normal and then like he's melting he's like this is fine it's actually what you feel like it's pretty cool and yeah, maybe you can hear it in my voice right now. I still have a little bit of that, just kind of nice calmness. So again, uh, f- uh, calm warm up, you know, and just swimming. Try to swim uh, matching a stroke rate for a long time, fifty five minutes, and then I went hard the last five minutes, uh, and that seems to have done it, uh, sorta. But the other day, Monday, this is Wednesday, Monday. Wow, it was out of this world. I was like, whoosh. Okay, now another thing. I thought I'd comment on is uh, in your swim bag. Let's say you got a swim bag, and um, I was walking through the locker room the other day, and somebody had thrown up. Somebody had vomited on the middle of the locker room floor, and I'm like, "Yeah, I definitely need to have uh, locker room shoes." Uh, you should, if you can, um, get dedicated sandals, flip flops, thongs, whatever you want to call them, and keep them in your swim bag. And they're real thin, right? So they should go in there and you just kind of keep them with your swimsuit and stuff. And then uh, if this is if you don't already have a dedicated locker at, at the pool. And then when you, um, and it, so I was at Target. I went for a walk around Target because I got some coaching done. I felt good about myself. So I, uh, I was like, oh yeah, I need to get some uh, flip-flops. I already own flip-flops. I own two pair of flip-flops. But I was walking through there and they had uh, champion brand flip-flops for 12 bucks. And I, was, I tried them on, and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to get these and put them in my swim bag. And they have these ones that are black on the bottom, uh, and then they're red on top. So, like, where your feet go are red. And I'm like, that's smart. I'll, that'll make me make them easier to find uh, when I'm digging through my uh, swim backpack. So I can just grab them, pull them out, and then uh, put them on. Uh, and, you know, maybe this is just a Brett problem, but I imagine some of you all uh, have that out there as well. Where, like, I'm on my way to the pool and I'm like, where's my flip-flops? Where's my flip-flops? I need my flip-flops. 
um, get some flip-flops and just keep them in your swim bag. And then you know you're going to have some flip-flops when you get there, regardless of whatever shoes you have on. And uh, it's, why you know, why do the flip-flop thing uh, when you're going to a community pool or a gym pool? Man, athlete's foot, dude. That is some nasty stuff. And you think, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, the other one, the big one is you want to go pee or something like that before you go into the pool and you go over to that urinal and you're barefoot and people have peed all around it. So, you know, the floor is covered in old, old urine. I mean, it's the worst. It's nasty. And I'm not a, even a uh, germaphobe. And I'm just like, you know what? I just rather, there's just things where I'm just like, I just rather skip that. It's not that I have to skip it. It's just like, I'd rather not. And so, yeah, the vomit on the floor, who knows, you know, and if I go to a pool with mostly adults, imagine uh, what's going on with kids. All right, so that's it. I need to go back inside, and I've got some uh, thinking projects I've got to do, not menial tasks. So I'm going to try to do that. Actually, listen to maybe some Zen talks while I'm in there. All right, that is it. Out, Bing. All right, we are on the road. Going to talk about your bike tip of the week, your Velo Shirts bike tip of the week. <coughs> Why am I coughing? Oh, no, do I have the flu? Ah! <coughs> I don't think so listening right now to the uh, faster than normal podcast and oh my gosh do i have adhd wow every guest on there is like super what normal people would call hyper but what's great is just uh you can focus all this energy into being uh, productive and get all this amazing stuff done just the frustrating part is um, not getting in trouble and containing your energy um, in the appropriate times, which I found we're going to keep working on this over uh, future episodes. If you induce this, uh, if you work out the calming effect of the runner's high, the swimmer's high, the biker's high, um, calms you for the rest of the day. So maybe this is a good tool for uh, people with ADHD and uh, or just people that have too much energy, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, let's do our bike tip of the week. This is a really cool one. It's very useful. Brought to us by Velosurance Bike Insurance. Email Dave at Velosurance.com. And this is how to do a flying dismount. And I learned this as an adult, even though I grew up doing BMX and being an idiot on my bicycle and all kinds of crazy tricks you know from a very young age i could bunny hop ride wheelies all kinds of stuff um i never got around to doing a flying dismount i mean who would want to get off your bike i guess that's <laughs> what i'm thinking only time i started really seeing this being useful was in uh, triathlon get off the bike and run through the transition area so uh let's take a left turn here left turn right turn clyde and Um, I was in my driveway and my dad is, uh, he did a, he did a flying dismount off of his just junker bike, whatever he had laying around. This is just like 10 years ago. I was like, Whoa, what is that? You know how to do that? And he said, Oh yeah, it's easy. I was like, crap. That's always the thing. So he goes, Oh yeah, it's easy. Oh man, I think before that even, I knew how to ride rollers, no hands. And I still hadn't done a uh, flying dismount. And so I was like, well, I guess I gotta learn this. And so 
what my whole point is, is as learning as an adult, I was able to actually really pay attention, you know, how, what I actually did to go from uh, not being able to do one to do one. And it's kind of like learning flip turns in the pool, right? There's all these great skills that uh, make you faster, make you better, make you more, yeah, make you more efficient and a, um, a better athlete. And this is one of them. So this is how you do it. Oh, a flying dismount, uh, what's the whole point? Um, you can get off the bike in a triathlon much more efficiently, faster, safer, not causing a clog and a jam for everybody behind you so that you can actually um, uh, be safer. Like, it's just great. Now, the first problem is you're probably wearing uh, clip clipless bike shoes. And that means that your feet are attached to the pedals. So that's a problem because how are you going to do this? Um, and then uh, clip out at the same time that you're riding. Well, honestly, the real thing you need to do is get out of your cycling shoes while you're pedaling and then pedal the last um, half mile or so, uh, whatever it is, in your um, with your feet on top of your shoes and, and your feet out of your shoes, okay? So for, that's step one. Now, um, uh, the next step is you should probably practice this next step a whole bunch when you you are um, on flat pedal. So grab a grab an old mountain bike, grab uh, something with flat pedals on it. Put flat pedals on your road bike, whatever you want to do, and that'll allow you to have some forgiveness, so you don't uh, have issues and fall and crash. And then the next step is find a section of road that is uh, flat to slightly downhill because while you're uh, all unstable and being uh, stupid and all over the road trying to do this, you want to be going a couple miles per hour very slowly, but you don't want to have the bike stop on you because you're going uphill. So people forget about that. Find a gentle downhill and then uh, you will be able to have a little bit of momentum so that you can take your time to do this right okay and now the next step the a big problem that uh people i noticed myself the big the big switch where i was like oh okay is uh lean forward on your bike and then let's say you're going to dismount on the left side take your right leg and don't try to get it up over the top tube in front of you and then cross your leg over. That's wrong. I mean, you can get there eventually and you see people that do this, but if you're learning, by far the best way is to push, take your right foot and put it behind you like you're flying and swing your leg back like by the rear wheel, way back. Almost try to make it straight, like you're swimming. Way, way, way back. And with your leg pretty much straight, ride like this for a while and learn that balance. Learn to have your hands on the handlebars, your left leg, left foot on the pedal, on the downstroke, it's down by the ground. 
and then your right leg pointing way behind you. You don't have to do toes back like you're kicking, but way behind you, okay? And then what, what you learn to do is you can lean the bike over to the right, but still ride in a straight line. And you're standing and you have your hands on the bars and you're, you can even be sitting a little bit if you want, but you're gonna need to be able to get your leg between your left leg and your bike. Your, your right leg between your left leg and your bike. So ride like this for a while. Learn to ride and steer for a few times, coasting with your right leg pointed behind you. Now, while you're doing that and you've mastered that in steering and you know generally staying in your lane, stay in your lane. Do the thing where you pull your right leg between the gap between your left leg, like your left knee, and your bike frame, like your saddle. Practice this a few times. And then, after you got that down, and practice steering while doing that. There's no rush, man, you got all day, right? You go out and ride your bike for two, three hours at a time, you can take a couple minutes to do this. On swim team, they spend forever not swimming and actually just practicing flip turns. They get about five, they get past the flags and then swim at the wall and flip and push off. They do this for like 10, 15 minutes, right? It's worth it to practice it on how to do it right. And then uh, practice pulling your leg through and then steering and right and uh, coasting on your bike like this. It's actually uh, quite fun once you learn to master it. Do it on smooth pavement with no cracks, no potholes, so nothing's gonna cause you to crash. Now, the final last step is actually really easy once you get all this, is to um, uh, put an imaginary line on the ground, uh, you know, find a seam in the pavement that you cross over, something, doesn't matter. Uh, and you imagine that that's the uh, finish line on the bike portion of the triathlon. And um, as you coast at it, uh, just apply your brakes and slow down to uh, walking speed. It's generally pretty safe. You don't want to be going too fast. And then uh, practice hopping off your bike and into a jog and on a, on a run. And um, watch uh, the Ironman Hawaii or whatever. They usually have good footage of this. Uh, bike dismounts as the uh, leaders come into the, uh, into the transition area. And watch how they do it. They're coasting, and they um, just hop off their bike and start running, and generally, sometimes throw their bikes <laughs> at somebody receiving it. I think that's a little bit rude. That's a pet peeve of mine, as I'm like, dude, you know, like, uh, I just don't like uh, people being rude to other people. You know, I'm a little bit too self-conscious about that, about how people perceive you. So it's like, um, practice, uh, yeah, going from that and uh, handing off your bike to, to somebody. If you really, if you have two people, it's a lot of fun, right? This is really funny. You should have one person, three people, one person videoing, <laughs> and then another person catching the bike, and then another, and then you, um, doing this soft, easy uh, dismount, and then um, and then handing your bike off to somebody so you can practice it, right? Uh, really good uh, technique is uh, when you dismount. 
is uh, walking with your bike, jogging with your bike, holding your bike by the saddle and letting it steer itself. Triathlon bikes are a little bit front end heavy, so they're a little bit less forgiving. You might need to practice that a little bit. But in, in general, that's how you learn. All right, that is uh, really cool. So steps again, um, practice on a bike with flat pedals if you need to, but then uh, also get out of the shoes first, way ahead of time. Uh, and then pedal uh, with your feet on top of your shoes, then point your leg back, not over the top tube in front of you, but aim your leg uh, your right leg, for example, back, uh, lean the bike over, find your balance, and then pull your right leg uh, eventually, um, quickly, uh, between you and the frame. So it's in front of you, and then, um, if you want, and then hop off. It's pretty cool. All right, that is our uh, bike tip of the week, brought to us by Velosurance Bike Insurance. Hey, you need to know if your bike, what are you gonna do? You need to know what you're gonna do if your bike um, gets in an accident before your big race. <clears throat> you uh, spend as much as you on your bike as a lot of people did on their first car. I know my first car was around uh, 1000 to $2,000 maybe, maybe. And we've got bikes out there that people have a lot more than that invested in it. I'd say that's the average uh, triathlon bike nowadays. By the time you get your, you start sinking money into wheels and stuff like that. What if somebody steals your bike? What if you're out riding and somebody, and it's on the back of your car and somebody uh, rear ends you and just smashes up your bike? Uh, what if you're riding and you hit, uh, what if you're testing your um, dismount, <laughs> your flying dismount uh, skills and you lean over too far and then fall on top of your bike and then uh, crack your frame? or break your wheels. So uh, VeloSurance will actually provide you coverage for this kind of stuff. They provide coverage for training rides, races. You ever try to file an insurance claim on your bike that uh, <clears throat> you damage it in a race? They're gonna say, no, you were racing. We don't cover, uh, home insurance doesn't cover your bike while you're out. You were in a race, you're an idiot. <laughs> and you're like, I'm not an idiot. I, I'm enjoying life, man. I want to go race my bike. That's what it's, it's a race bike. What are you talking about? And they're like, yeah, well, we don't cover that. Well, VeloSurance does get in touch with them. Uh, they cover your bike during travel, transportation, all this stuff, stuff that you actually use. If you actually use your bike for what it's meant for, you need to talk to VeloSurance. So email dave at VeloSurance.com. Tell them what you ride your bike for. How do you actually ride your bike or bikes and they will provide you with a quote. That's all you gotta do. You know, you can consider it, you don't have to do it, but it's good to know. You know, you can take that quote and just sit on it for a while. Sit on it, meditate, and be like, well, you know, maybe I don't need it right now, but let's say I've got a big race coming up and I, I wanna make sure that my uh, bike is covered. Like you're doing a build for Kona, right? Or a Kona qualifier, and you're just like, man, half Ironman Worlds. You're trying to qualify for half Ironman Worlds at this big race at Galveston. You're going to race at Galveston and you know that the uh, it's critical for you to have a bike for that. And what happens if you know something happens to your bike between now and then? Well, you can get a replacement bike uh, 
with the payout if something happens to your bike. That's the whole point. Okay, that is it. I'm at W to the ERK. Uh, check me out on Instagram because uh, I posted a cool picture. I'm Zen Triathlon on Instagram. I was running last night in that moonlight and I posted that picture and I got two comments on it already. And people are like, dude, that is cool. It's a beautiful picture of the moonlight on the sidewalk that I was running on. I had a beautiful meditation ride this morning. I need to talk in future episodes about how to ride a meditation ride. But actually, I think I'm a couple minutes late to W to the ERK. And I need to get off the mic, get inside, all right? Woo, everybody. All right. Well, it's lunchtime. And no, I did not get the uh, runner's high that I was looking for. I don't think I went hard enough. I have to uh, submit to you a word of caution that uh, seeking a runner's high is a certain path to overtraining. You got to be careful to not um, search this uh, too long uh, because you need a lot of easy days mixed in with... You only need the occasional hard workout. And... If I went doing this all the time, then uh, going trying to go hard enough to kick off a runner's high, then uh, it could lead to some problems, being exhausted and all that stuff. Which leads me to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is about uh, some tricks for sleep. And uh, what made me think about that this morning is uh, Emily's sick and was trying to get some sleep last night. Uh, in a separate bedroom so she didn't get me sick. And uh, one thing, I do greatly appreciate it. And um, she's a nurse, so she knows this kind of stuff. And, and uh, one uh, interesting thing is that, oh, well, she said she was miserable because it was cold in that room. Um, and that... Uh, it's like cold because she has a, a slight fever too. I need to text her and ask her if, she, if she's feeling better. But um, cold because she, it's cold in the room and there was a light that was um, disturbing her sleep. So the cold thing is kind of funny because uh, we've got two dogs and one of the dogs one of the dogs always sleeps with Kai. It's the big black lab and he likes it because it's like his protector. And then um, this other dog. <laughs> that we love so much, but she's a bit of a pain in the ass sometimes. I slept with me and she's like a sandbag. Like she will not move or anything like that if she's laying in the bed, uh, but she's warm. That's where the band uh, Three Dog Night uh, gets its name from supposedly. And it's nice uh, sleeping uh, uh, kind of like a crescent around her to uh, stay warm. It was uh, very pleasant. But Emily said not only was she cold, but there's this light, right? And this is one of these uh, tips that uh, there's a crazy person driving in front of me. That if you can, this is one of the things your your life optimization tricks that makes uh, not only triathlon training better, but your whole life better. Is uh, lights in your room uh, will make it difficult to sleep. So if you can do anything you need to um, work on on this situation uh, though one of the things 
the one of the things, one of the most major things I've noticed in all my uh, working with pros, following pros, interviewing pros, is the thing that makes them awesome and Kona qualifiers is um, prioritizing sleep. They nap like a pro, like a boss. They sleep, 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 sleep. That is the huge difference. If you quit your job to go pro, you shouldn't train more. You should use that time to sleep more because it's during your sleep that you recover and get stronger. So happiness in triathlon is paved. The road to happiness in triathlon is paved with darkness as in get your uh, sleeping situation so that it's really dark. A few years ago at most, I um, got rid of night lights that were the wrong color, like white, and replaced them with amber night lights uh, in our bathroom. Sometimes the door's cracked open and somewhere else in the, in the bedroom too. I can't remember which wall it is. But they're much more pleasant and they're less disturbing. I used to have a nightlight that was right in my face. And I'm like, get this thing out of my face. And uh, replaced it with an amber one. That helped a ton. Uh, sleeping mask, of course. You can sleep any time of day with a sleeping mask. I just keep it in the drawer next to my bed. And also a major uh, thing... Hold on, I gotta try to park here for a second. Is try to get your sleeping situation, your night, your nighttime situation set up uh, before you go to bed. Because what happens is, is once you go to bed, you're already tired. And this is what happened to Emily. And all of you can probably uh, remember times this has happened to you over and over and over again. There was a light uh, on the outside of our house that kind of shines into this bedroom window. And you're constantly waking up or having difficult sleep because of this stupid light. It's like falling asleep on the couch with the TV going on uh, with regular or high volume. Like you, your rest is the worst. It's almost worse than, than not sleeping. And Emily said that that was the other thing is this light that shines in the room. It's just, it's just terrible. So. Let's say, let's say she's sick again and wants to sleep in that room again. She should. Uh, and for my health at home, I should, if she doesn't, go turn off that, that, uh, this porch light that shines into her, um, into her room, into this room that she was sleeping in so that she gets a good night's sleep. These are the low-hanging fruit. You look around and you're like, Is, are there lights shining into my bedroom? Is there a TV on in my bedroom? Before you get so tired that you don't want to get back up, turn those things off. Okay. Another cool thing that I just did, which is, I've never heard anybody else do this, but it's, uh, I wanted to share it. It was just an experiment. And so far it's working out mostly good is the, um, get up in the morning. I get up before Emily does. Uh, if we're as always sleeping in the same room and then, um, I'm trying to be quiet, but I can't see. So I got to use like the flashlight, flashlight on my phone. And sometimes it shines in her eyes and she's like, ah, you know, and I'm uh, walking around, I'm tripping over stuff. I'm trying to be quiet. I can't really see. So I'm having to open drawers and, and uh, it's just a whole lot of commotion and stuff. And she's still trying to sleep. And if she gets up early and I'm still asleep, I get the same thing. So underneath our bed, <laughs> I took these, uh, Christmas lights, they're, they're white, and that's not the best color. I would go to amber 
if I uh, if I had my choice or something softer like purple or, or uh, whatever I put I coiled up these Christmas lights and plugged them into an outlet that's behind the bed so they're under the bed and this is so crazy one it makes it looks it makes the bed look like it's floating on light at night during the day you can't see it at all and then the um, and they're LED lights so they use almost no electricity and um, then the glow from the lights shoots out sideways from the bed and lights up maybe the bottom foot and a half of the walls just a little bit I mean it's just they're just like a, one string of Christmas lights but they also light up the floor and when you uh, get up in the morning and you you uh, because the light doesn't go up because they're under the bed they go sideways when you're laying in your bed you can barely it's just there's just this soft very very soft glow in the room not bright at all it's, it's very easy to fall asleep that's not that's the whole point is that it's uh, not doesn't bother your sleep but when you sit up in bed and put your feet down on the floor to get off the bed you can see everything on the floor you can see that belt buckle so you don't step on it and you can see that lego so that you don't step on it you can see those shoes over there so that you can grab them without turning on all kinds of lights and stuff you can see your socks over over here you know whatever you've left on the floor um the oh my god uh those chew bones those nyla bones that are all chewed up and sharp because we got dogs you ever get one of those on the floor and you don't see it and you step on it oh my god it's the worst you can see that you can see everything but it only lights up the floor and it's just the coolest thing ever so i suggest uh that you try it if you don't have an outlet to plug into right behind your bed get it like a small extension cord and run that to the, the the nearest outlet and then run the extension cord to under your bed and then plug your christmas lights into that um, i want to experiment with uh, some different color lights to get a better color um, instead of uh, the the sharp white which is a little bit it's a little bit too intense um, i like it just a little bit softer but anyway give this a try and um what this does is it helps preserve your sleep and keeps other people from waking up and it makes your get up routine and getting going so much easier one of the big problems with working out in the morning is not wanting to work out in the morning because you're like i don't know where my stuff is i don't know yeah if, if you have to make decisions and discover stuff and and figure anything out you're more likely to stay in bed so the amount of obstacles you remove from your path um to uh that you don't have to figure out you know it's already it's already done for you um and you pre-plan these things the better off you'll be and the more likely you'll be to work out and it's consistency you know that does this so you wake up and literally and figuratively you can see your path to your workout <laughs> right when you wake up it is really really cool uh christmas lights under your bed not quite sure if it's a christmas if it's a uh christmas if it's a fire hazard yet um some people check into that and let me know if it is i'll uh i'll pull them out but they seem relatively safe okay that's it i'm gonna go have a salad out bay <laughs> oh hear that dog hey guys <laughs> i'm out on a run and my legs hurt too much so i'm gonna walk man i tore them off that other run, <laughs> run that other weekend
beat up. Woo, learned something new. Well, it's a uh, moonlit night. Let's talk about the soft edges of the moon and also running distances for different races. So right now we have a, um, a full moon, super moon, all that good stuff. And in Zen, there's a lot of talk about the moon. And it turns out the uh, ancient cultures really like the moon because you can almost see as good as the day. That's something beeping there. But it softens the edges, so it's a more flattering light. So you end up being, you can be more contemplative. Just like uh, if you go into a bar and there's a haze from the smoke. It's actually flattering, it softens the edges. And that's why when uh, TV went into high def, everybody, all the newscasters were like, ah, crap. You can see everybody's zits. <laughs> you don't want that. Everybody's imperfections. Well, moonlight covers up the imperfections. Allows you to, it lubes the visuals. <sighs> yeah, I had something else there, but I lost it. So I'll, I'll get back to it, it'll come back to me. And also, um, let's talk about running distances. I got a message on Instagram and uh, from Briley something. Now I can't remember what it was, but I remember it was Briley. And I don't know if that's a guy or a girl. Uh, Briley, it's a guy and a girl in their photograph. <laughs> so I don't know which one's which. But anyway, it was a really good question. So I thought I'd answer it. He, she asked, did they know that I mentioned on a recent podcast that it's been shown that about 50 miles per week is good enough to train for an Ironman for the run. Uh, what about a half Ironman and an Olympic? I think that specifically was an Olympic. God, the moon is so bright. Wow, this is great. This is a really good use of my limping time. And got a nice tailwind. And let's back up to the, um, how did I know that? And where can you find out more about that? The, the distances. Okay. So, in Zen, they teach you don't want to be an individual. The reason that they line everybody up, and uh, they had this problem with all the, the um, not the hipsters, but were they, what were before the beatniks that all started studying at San Francisco Zen Center in the 60s, the 50s, 60s. And, uh, hey man, you can't tell me to bow down or whatever and uh, Suzuki Roshi the Zen master that was from Japan said you have to be all the same so I can tell how you're different and it doesn't really make sense at first but I've got direct experience with this I'm gonna try to stay out of the sun or out of the uh, wind here for a second and that when I went to military school when I was 14 years old they shaved everybody's heads 
and they line you up against the wall. They take away all your civilian clothes and they issue you uniforms. The only thing that you brought with you was your suitcase and they put that away. They take the civilian clothes you showed up in and put that in the suitcase and put it in storage. <laughs> so now everybody looks exactly the same. But that's not true. Suddenly, you can really see everybody's true differences that are really them, right? Um, they can't, when, you can't masquerade behind uh, different clothes, different haircuts, different shoes, stuff like that, that's, that are all add-ons that aren't really you. And um, before I went to military school, I was kind of a dork in uh, ninth grade. And uh, my sophomore year of military school, uh, I was a dork in ninth grade public school. And then in military school, I was really popular. And it's because uh, people really ju uh, judge you on who you actually are and what you actually can do. And I was a good swimmer because I'd been on a swim team. And all of a sudden, I was hugely valuable. <laughs> and nobody cared um, if I had dorky clothes on or anything because uh, you don't. Everybody has the exact same clothes. So... You dump your history when you get rid of all these clothes and and your old haircut and stuff like that everybody's exactly the same so what actually makes you you starts to stand out and starts to get uh, acknowledged as useful a lot of times it's really useful so and valuable to the group so the same thing happens in triathlon where there's standardized distances right? You can't, if everybody just went and did their own thing, you can't compare people to each other and you can't compare who's actually better than the other person at triathlon, for example, right? You need a standardized distance. You need everything to be the same. And that's why Ironman was so successful when they started standardizing the distance and standardizing the races. As, as much as possible, the races are the same. And then you, now you can compare your times, and you can compare against each other. And then that made the sport explode uh, into huge popularity because now there's a standard. Now it becomes attractive to a whole lot more people. So with that, you can start to say for a half arm, uh, this was an Olympic distance, this is a specific question, but I did this with the Ironman. <laughs> what do Kona qualifiers do? to qualify for Kona. What, how many miles per week do they run? And newsflash, I'm not the only one that's done it. I was just looking at other people's research, not my own. Let me try to, I'm gonna cover this thing with a windsock. Hold on. It's really breezy over here. Easy breezy cover, girl. This should help. Sorry if it's a little bit muffled. But the, um, Lots of people have done research and lots of surveys have been done and lots of, uh, and training peaks, which logs everybody's training. You know, they can look at the data anonymously or, you know, who's qualified for Kona and look back to see how many miles per week they ran. And if you want to do good, why don't you do what, what actually works? Duh. And they saw that the average Kona qualifier was running somewhere between 40 like 42 and 50 miles per week so you need to run at least 42 and once you start hitting 50 it's um, starting to get 
um, pointless and starting to damage your other stuff you need to work on. And then they also had like, how long is their long run, you know, on average and stuff. And yeah, there's outliers of individuals that have done stuff, but usually they already have a history and they don't need to do as much. They've done, you know, qualify for Kona a lot less. But, um, but they're also, you know, they were a track star in college. So they, don't, they hardly need to run at all because they're already crazy fast. Um, so with that, I was able to say, you know, 45, 50 miles per week. And what's really interesting is if you want to do ultra trail running, that same distance, training for an Ironman, and then if you're already in the habit of training for an Ironman and kind of backing off the swim a little bit and replacing that with more rest or something like that, that time on the bike, if you pedal like up bike hills and stuff like that, that running mileage is about the same, about 50 miles per week to get you through a 50 mile trail run. Pretty cool, huh? So if you're already doing Ironmans, you could easily transition over in your off season to doing uh, 50 mile trail runs instead. And those are epic, they're so cool. Now, when you start looking at the shorter stuff, there's a breaking point of where you don't, um, when, when you go, when you're training for really long stuff, you don't want to train the full distance. There's no point in running a marathon. It beats you up too much to train for the marathon and an Ironman or anything else. Running 26.2 miles for your long run is kind of like, it's too abusive on your body. Um, the recovery time is too long. So it's really not that smart in general. But once you start getting to the shorter distances, there's actually some benefit to doing the race distance. Um, and training for your long run, right? Half Ironman, you're kind of like, uh, 13 mile run. It's basically like, once you get over two hours on the run, you're kind of, you're not really, you're starting to look at dipping into some damage that's going to take three, four days to recover from instead of one or two, depending on how fast you go. And if you slow down, well, then you're out there longer with that, with that banging on your body. But another rule that you ought to think about is running three, four times a week. It's generally considered pretty good. Less than that, you're not going to get enough. More than that, you're going to um, not get enough recovery in. You can be like me right now, walking. And then the question is, how long should your runs be if you're going to run three, four times a week? Well, let's say you're doing a half Ironman. Then you would want to do, you might do, I found that doing around 12 miles for my long run. And then on the weekend, for example, and then runs between 45 minutes and an hour uh, during the week. Pretty good. Doing like two or three more of those during the week. And like one of them being kind of hard or the last couple minutes of each one being a little bit hard, you know. And you don't really make the whole thing hard. Like you just kind of like push the hills a little bit. Because that's a lot of running on top of a lot of biking that you're already doing. 
So I would say for a half Ironman, you're probably looking at, you know, like 30, 30 to 35 miles per week. Because if you do three six-mile runs, that's 18. And then you do uh, a 12-mile run. 12 plus eight, what's 12 plus 18? It's 30? Yeah. So you're looking, yeah, like 30, 35 miles per week. And on average. Now, while I'm telling you all this, uh, you still should go Google it because this is Google-able and you should be able to find out. And then, let's see, the specific question. Oh, if you do the um, if you do the 12-mile run, you're really close to doing the race distance. And you have, like, confidence that you know you can run the race. As you tick over the miles, then you're like, okay, I know what mile four feels like in this thing. I know what mile eight feels like. Right. When you have been doing the, when you've already done the distance, the confidence you have that you know that you can push harder when it starts sucking because you've done it before is, um, is uh, priceless, man. It's great. I think I keep hearing seagulls. Like, y'all are too far inland. Go away. And then, uh, God, the moon is so bright. It's beautiful. And then, let's get down to Olympic. Olympic, you can definitely be doing the race distance and run in fact for your long run i would be doing over distance probably eight miles because you need to run that six miles pretty freaking hard so if you go out for an eight mile run then on the six mile run is going to seem easy right no problem whatsoever so i would be doing eight miles for my long run and then I would be doing at least, I'd be still doing 45 minutes per run for my shorter runs during the week, but doing them harder, you know, like a little bit of like interval work and stuff like that. And so what is that? Four times three is 12 plus eight. Now you're talking 20 miles per week for the Olympic. Um, sprint, I'd probably do about 15 maybe so there you go briley if you uh backwards engineer reverse engineer the uh the math of what you should be doing by your long run and your shorter runs three to four times per week so that you have on the short side confidence and on the long side enough recovery then those are the numbers that you come up with Oh, yeah, now I remember the thing that I was going to talk about. <laughs> I'm almost to the house. This is really cool. There's a saying with... Uh, there's, there's debates in Zen. There's uh, just like Christianity and other religions, there's sects. 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 Sects in Zen. You know, like Christianity is Protestant, and like Baptist, and Episcopalian, and Lutheran, and da, 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 Catholic, and... Stuff. Well, Zen has different schools. You know, there's one school where they live in the forest. <laughs> Sounds pretty great. I like it. But um, you know, there's Tibetan Buddhism. There's all Buddhism. I mean, it's huge. Zen is a sect of Buddhism, and within Zen, there's Rinzai and uh, 
Soto, and then older than that, and then Chan, which goes back to China. But anyway, is um, enlightenment sudden or is it gradual? And what's cool is there's this great saying that, oh, Zazen is sitting Zen. It's sitting to um, reach enlightenment or whatever. And this stuff gets all complicated. And, and everybody claims to understand that you either don't know it or do know it. <laughs> but it's all different to every person. So don't worry about it too much. Um, but basically, if you sit, you're stilling the waters. And it's like muddy waters. When, you, when water is, sits clear, the, the uh, silt and the mud settles out. You can actually see in the water. And you can see reality and actually what you need to be working on. The truth of, of things. Which is a way better way to go through life. Well, the... Um, one argument in Zen is... Uh, is Zen sudden or is it gradual? Or is enlightenment sudden or is it gradual? And one school says, you have one moment where you go, holy, holy bat balls, Batman. I get it. I get how the world works. Oh my gosh. Right? And that's sudden Zen. And then there's a gradual Zen where it's like, it's people try and they try and they try and they try and try. And then when they finally get it, thing that you finally get is that it's the trying that's the problem right the sudden enlightenment people realize that trying is you're trying to make things different than what they are so the harder you try sit forever then the longer it's going to take because you're trying to reach enlightenment there's nothing to reach it's to stop reaching is actually enlightenment some of you just heard that just now and then get it. And you're like, whoa, wait, I think I get it. That's what I'm talking about right there. You're having a moment. Okay. Anyway. So the question is, there's schools of Zen where they don't emphasize sitting and meditating at all. They say don't. It's a waste of time. It's stupid. You get it and then you move on with life. And then you refine it sitting and kind of think about it more. But you've already got it, right? And then the other one is the reverse. Is you got to sit forever and then, until you finally do get it, right? And the question, back to the question, is, is um, why should I sit to, to get it? Sit, you, you get it by accident, right? It suddenly hits you either way. So why should I sit, right? Well, if you remember, sitting does still the waters. That's an agreed fact with everybody. And this great saying is zazen, which is sitting meditation. <sighs> well, enlightenment hits you by accident. Zazen makes you more accident prone. I love that saying, right? You can't be in a car wreck unless you're in a car. <laughs> well, I guess you'd be a pedestrian, but you can't be inside a car wreck unless you're in a car, right? 
<sighs> so if you spend a little bit of time sitting or just slowing down I think I've talked about this before. I've got this great coworker who told me something that gave me a moment of enlightenment, that, which I really enjoyed. With, um, I noticed she was sitting on her in her car before work, and I said, well, "Why don't you come inside?" And she goes, "Oh, I was just sitting there thinking, you know, she's basically meditating in her own way." And uh, I was just thinking in my car, and I said, "Oh, yeah, I do that too. I uh, sit at my house, and then uh, I I do that for several minutes." 10 to 20 minutes every morning before I come to work. And she said, yeah, she has uh, anxiety and stuff like that. So she goes, yeah, I come into work first <laughs> and then I'm here and then I sit in my car and then I sit and I thought that hit me, you know, I was like, damn, I, I remember I told her, I go, that's impressive. <laughs> you just uh, gave me something to think about when I sit and think about things. And so now I do that more often. I go to, when I go swim and if I get there early, I just sit in the car and I think there. And um, tonight when I went to go for my run, I got all dressed for my run, but I was a little bit early. So I just, uh, I sat and thought about my run, but I was already all ready to go, you know. (sighs) But these moments, these, these minutes, of sitting and thinking and letting the water still um, gives you that time to um, for things to calm down a little bit, right? So imagine you have a life with, uh, there's lots of people out there with lots of kids, for example, and they're trying to go to school at night and they're working. Emily and I were doing, um, she was working night shift and going to nursing school while... Uh, Kai was an infant and I was working at a day job and watching him at night while she was there, you know, you're not going to have many insights about things and be able to remember them and work with them because there's just too much chaos and there's too much panic going on. But if, um, you actually still the waters and give yourself a little bit of time, then when you do have these uh, insights and you're nice and calm you can like write them down you can collect them i've got a collection of these that i've started um i've got two lists i've got a productivity tips list and then i've got a zen insights list in case i ever want to write a book or something like that or put them all together i'm not very good at keeping up that list i should be better at it but the stuff that i found that is just uh, profound you know both ways for productivity and for um zen and i keep this list but it's because i'm uh sitting and uh, basically uh, insights in life to improve your life are an accident, right? You can't purposefully go out and find them. That's what we're talking about with Zen. You can't purposefully find enlightenment. It happens by accident, right? I didn't purposefully get that tip from uh, my coworker. She just told me and I was, happened to be receptive uh, at the moment. And uh, I was like, oh, cool. But that happened accidentally, right? But because I'm in a calm state of mind, because I've been Zen training, then uh, I was more receptive to it. So um, when you have your own thoughts, or they're even better, about, holy crap, I should do this (laughs) or that, then, uh, yeah, you're more accident-prone to discover these things. 
if you sit. All right, I'm done with my little walk and back to the house. I'm gonna bike in the morning. And life continues on. Here we go. Hello. Yeah, the wind is uh, something else. The moon is beautiful. Yeah. All right, we are walking. We're and we're walking and we're walking. <laughs> and I have a question, Brian Y. That's his last name's uh, initial. Send in a question. Let me read it to you because he had a compliment and those are nice. He said, uh, it's an injury question that <clears throat> I talked about on a previous show, some details. Uh, good afternoon, Brett. Thank you for making the order of this Hornet juice. I really appreciate it. I've been listening to your podcast and they are really great! Exclamation point. I did have a simple question for you. I remember you said you started taking gelatin. And I was wondering how much you take each day and what brand you use. I'm going to get to that in a second. Let's finish reading his email. Uh, I also wanted to say thank you in all caps. One exclamation point. I thought it looked like two. For all of your podcasts. There's the two exclamation points right there. I did the Kona Ironman three years in a row from 2009 to 2011. But I was just a finisher. Never had really good times. Yeah. I don't know if I qualified if I'd actually ever do it. I've probably do it once. But then after that, <clears throat> just to do it. Oh. Um, then I had some medical problems, but persevered through it. Long story short, I signed up for the Santa Rosa Half Ironman this July. And your podcast were very influential and motivating me to get back into triathlon. Three exclamation points. Uh, I am finally back to the Ironman fitness level. <clears throat> and just wanted to thank you, exclamation point. Whew, where'd it go? Okay, I'm trying to walk and not fall down at the same time at night. I cut a run short because my uh, my legs were all floppy. <laughs> so I was like, this is not improving me, so I'm gonna walk instead. But I'm still timing it as my walk, as my run. It's still, my, it's, you know, it's mileage. Anyway, I listen to you to your podcast during my long runs. Hey, look, we're on one together. And it is great. Keep up the good work very respectfully. That's nice. Brian, why? Okay. The gelatin thing is a proven scientific method. Relatively new, but very proven in a lab over and over and over again. And on uh, people. So if you have a tendon injury, so Achilles tendon is a good one. Plantar fasciitis. Uh, that's kind of pulling on your calf. But anyway, something tendony and maybe bone. But they found that eating gelatin, like if you go to the store and buy jello that you're gonna make, I guess you could eat jello too. I don't know. Oh wait, there's a there's a process. Whoa, there's a process, our Canadian friends say. And I think it's 15 grams of gelatin. And not just that, but they found out with vitamin C. It doesn't take much, just a little bit of vitamin C. It's like a gummy bear vitamin C, not much. But you need vitamin C with it. What that does is the vitamin C carries the gelatin to the injured part of your body. It takes it to your tendons or whatever. And then you need 
to exercise. And it wasn't very much. It was just enough to get blood flow there. So I think you wait like half an hour or something like that. Not very long. Within an hour of working out, you eat this gelatin. Oh, then you work out. And then uh, vitamin C, then go exercise. Get that stuff through into your bloodstream and then exercise. You don't have to exercise very long, but exercise that spot. Long, slow, easy movements. And your tendons are made out of gelatin. And with the vitamin C, apparently, because they said it didn't work anywhere near as good with, without vitamin C, it, um, it activates it and your body just starts repairing it like crazy. And jello packets i'm pretty sure it was like seven seven grams of gelatin per packet and so when i bought it and so it was like hey what oh mile 14 minute mile because now i'm walking but i get to talk to y'all uh so i was doing like two uh these gelatin packets and stir it and there's something you had to drink it relatively fast or else it's going to gel up <laughs> and what is that and then um yeah with the vitamin c so i was using it as my pre-race no my, my pre-race my pre-workout bike and run to help heal my plantar fasciitis and it worked dramatically it got me totally over the hump so i could run again and I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I learned that from the Run Ultra podcast. And this guy is a big time physician, sports coach that is just for whatever reason, after all these years, decided to get an ultra running, got addicted, and just does this extremely informative, almost like medical grade. You can totally understand it. It's not over it's not over anybody's head. But all he talks about is the science of going long distance. And it's really for ultra running, but so much of what he talks about can be applied to um triathlon. And for example, the last episode that they did, he'll probably have another one by the time this show gets out, was just recovery all about how to recover and he had all of these doctors and physicians and experts on talking about all the details and one of the topics was sleep it was so good so good about sleep and actually yeah there was something there was a difference between swimming and and, and biking because it's no impact versus running that oh and oh, this was about overtraining that runners tend to not be able to get overtrained because once they start approaching the volume to get overtrained <laughs> overtraining syndrome they get injured right because of the impact that's not good <laughs> that's not good news <laughs> that your uh, your performance is limited that you're going to break your legs and uh, but swimming and cyclists could get overtrained a whole lot easier because they can do the volume and swimmers especially because they swim early in the morning 
and then they need sleep and they don't get enough sleep. And then there was this really cool part about the first four to six hours of your sleep repairs your body. The next hours that you get repairs your brain. And a lot of us, I do, I get up early in the morning, work out late at night. It's almost nine o'clock right now. Uh, so what do you do? You know, you need all this sleep. Where does an age grouper that has a job get sleep? Because you can't say the weekend because the weekend's where they do a whole bunch of stuff. And they said napping. I'm like, oh, that's the best. So naps can top you off on your sleep. They didn't quite say it like this, but this is my advice is because you can, you can go a few days and be sort of sleep deprived a little bit, but it's going to catch up with you, right? So treat it just like you do in triathlon where you do your short workouts um, and then every once in a while you do a long workout, like your long run once per week or whatever. But be opportunistic and when you get the opportunity to uh, catch up on sleep, catch up. And Well, there was naps, but then uh, there's also... Um, if you do get the chance to sleep in or go to bed early or something like that, take it and sleep extra and then you'll catch up on your sleep. <clears throat> and that's probably like the best you can do. And then on top of that, let's see. Oh, I wanted to give a tip on the way I take naps that I found really, 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 really works. So at lunch, I eat my lunch wherever I happen to be. If I go home or if I go to a restaurant or if I eat at work. But then I don't really have a spot to do this at the office. So a lot of times I'll sleep in my car for a little bit. And what I found from my experience, this is Zen. Zen Buddhism says, research yourself and see what works before you believe what other people tell you. And this is what I found. That and it may take a little bit of practice, but not very much. Set an alarm if you need to, so you don't go too long, like, you know, 20, 30, 20, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And then after you eat, go to sleep, find a spot, start taking a nap. When you naturally wake up, like just a few minutes later, like 10, 20 minutes later, you know, you're like, oh, cause it's a habit. You're like, oh, I could go back to work. <laughs> Those few minutes of rest are so huge. They top you off. And you're talking, they added it up over the week. They're like, you get 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. Over, You know, you start getting like two hours extra sleep a week with naps. And I found that by doing this, um, my afternoon, I'm wide awake. I don't feel drowsy. It's like it's a... Uh, it's like it's uh, wiped away the, uh, the need for sleep. It's a really cool episode, and I suggest you check it out. All right. Something out here. I'm walking almost to my street. It smells heavily like men's cologne. It's really creepy because it's dark and there's nobody around. <laughs> it's a predator. Okay. That's it. Out, bang. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. We give, uh, oh, I lost my, <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. We need to give a shout out to some additional sponsors and also how to help support the show. 
One way to support Zentri is to go to the zentriathlon.com page. And on the left-hand side, there's an easy donation button. You can help support the show that way, one time or recurring. And then I get your email address and you can uh, email me with questions. I don't email you. I don't have time for all that stuff. You can email me and uh, with questions and I'll actually recognize your email as a supporter because <clears throat> I do read those as they come in. And it really does help out the show. And I get it all the time. That's where we got that uh, question earlier uh, from Brian. And also, you can go get Hornet juice on the right-hand side. That's an easy thing that people keep doing. It's really great. Uh, you get a 10 or a 20-pack of this amino acid powder that you add to your fuel. And you can take it you know, by itself if you want. And what it does is it activates fat burning. All this high fat, low carb stuff. Uh, this kind of does it for you as needed. And what it is, it's a, it's a protein powder that uh, signals your body when you eat it to turn on fat burning like a diesel engine. I keep getting emails from people that are just like, I cannot believe this stuff. It really does work. It really does work. It's really crazy. And it's perfect for long workouts. And Let's see, yeah, you can get a 10 or 20 pack. And if you get that, it comes from New Zealand, which is really cool. You get an email back from me that says, hey, thanks. It says, howdy, because I'm in Texas. And uh, you get something fun to show off with your friends. You get something to uh, kick off the uh, dopamine to get excited about uh, something cool to try out. I got some new shoes this this uh, week and the excitement of what is that first, you know, when are they going to show up? How are they going to feel in the mail? And uh was what's my run going to be like my first run in them right they get you excited like all week long so you get that same thing with this and that's on the right hand side is zentrathlon.com let's see you can follow me on instagram zentrathlon twitter zentrathlon and i post lots of pictures of workouts and stuff and tips i posted two swim workouts for people to use um and then oh i got feedback on that somebody just absolutely loved the uh the 50s pyramids build up twice up and then back down it was actually built for kai and that's a little bit much for a 13 year old to to have interest in but uh building up two times in a row actually is kind of neat so it was made uh for short attention spans <laughs> which might be you and let's see we have amrita bars and salt stick we need to give a shout out to so salt stick has um a new thing out and it made me go, it made, inspired me to go eat a couple of the old ones because, oh man, they taste so good. So Salt Stick is your uh, sodium electrolyte um, supplement that lots and lots of pros use for racing. It's super easy because they have these capsules and you can add it, you can break them open and add it as much as you want to your fuel. If you make your fuel ahead of time, which you should, if you're doing the big stuff, um, but on top of that, uh, they have this other thing. It's kind of like Lifesavers, but it's about half that size. And they're about the size of, of uh, Altoids, but uh, oh, they taste so much different, so much better. They're a little bit sweet, but salty, and they're called Fast Chews. And it's a way to get in, um, I think it's like, how much sodium is it? Um, it takes like three or four of them to equal one capsule. But anyway... They're really, really good. So I just went and had one, and then I just went and had to have another because <laughs> it tasted so good. And they're, um, yeah, it's like citrus and then sodium. And a salt stick is uh, really cool because it doesn't just have sodium. 
It has potassium, magnesium, all the stuff, and it has it in the ratio that you actually sweat out. So you're putting back in what you sweat out so that you don't get low in anything. It's really, really smart. They're like the only company that does that. And it's, they've really got it nailed down. It's convenient. It works. It's the best stuff. Super easy. If I was to start a uh, supplement company, I'd probably do something similar to that idea. And uh, it's not crazy expensive or anything like that. It's really cool. But they have something new. Um, the the uh, fast chews I was telling you about, kind of like in a lifesaver packet, are um, you have to peel off this paper. And like I said, they're they're like this is probably not the most convenient thing ever. So they do these little tiny tiny little like little Ziploc packets now, and that has. Uh, 10 count in it and it's resealable, right? So you're not gonna get sweat all over it and all that stuff. And um, it's a little bit more eco-friendly as our friend Joseph from Salt Stick says, given that the packets can be refilled from the 60 count bottles. Piece of cake. Um, They're looking to promote it. Uh, They could use our help. And like I said, I was reading this and I go, man, I've got some of those in the roll. I'm going to have some. And I went and had one and then I couldn't help myself and I had another. <laughs> They're really good. They're really, really good. So let's look. We've got a discount code for them and Amrita Bars. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. I got it in my notes. I've always got it where I can get to it. Uh, salt stick, 25% off with discount code uh, Zentry25. And what you do is you go to, no, wait, that's different. You go to saltstick.com slash Zentry. That's how you get there. And then when you're there, it goes uh, like a Zen master at the uh, at the gate of a Zen, uh, Zen monastery. They go, who are you? You don't belong here. And then you say, what's the password? <laughs> and you say, uh, open sesame. And they go, no, go away. But finally, when you guess the password is Zentry, I'm serious, <laughs> it lets you in. It's, they should have like the doors opening sound like, and now you're in. And then you can use um, that discount code because you know you know the password, Zentry, uh, to get in and get 25% off. Isn't that cool? All right, so that's all about Salt Stick. I use them constantly. I'm so glad uh, that they're a sponsor. And then Amrita Bars, which is a date-based bar. And let's see, where's our discount code for them? All right, it looks like it's Zen for 15% off orders and $5 shipping. And what you want to do is go get you a whole bunch of those because when you eat Amrita Bars, you know you're eating something healthy. It's one of those things that has like five ingredients on the package. And as opposed to like uh, Cliff Bars, for example, uh, they don't get hard when they when it gets cold. It's really cold outside. I was camping and had a Cliff Bar that Emily had packed in the uh, in our gear with us, and I ate it about broke my teeth off. And I was like, they're right, <laughs> Cliff Bars, Cliff Bars, and other bars like that. Grain based bars get hard whenever it's cold. You're out on your bike, you know, or, or jogging or something like that, and. These are uh, soft and they have all these different flavors and they have protein bars. They have all this really cool stuff. And they're also anti-inflammatory. There's lots of anti-inflammatory ingredients in them that uh, help you recover faster. 
um, for base training rides uh, where you're going easy and long. It's, it's super easy to have like a bite of one and then put it back in your jersey pocket. And then a little while later, another bite of one just to kind of make your stomach feel a little bit more full. It is super cool. All right. Let's see. I think that is it. Stay tuned for the next episode. We're going to have lots of cool stuff, more Zen talks. I'm getting lots of emails from people saying that they really enjoy that stuff. So we're going to keep doing it. I got lots more where that comes from. I only put in about 5% of what I ever uh, think of because we can only have so much time together. Oh, so stay tuned and we'll do a whole lot more. All right, that's it. Everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down out. Oh, my God.